My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples set out for the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Along the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They said in reply, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter said to him in reply, You are the Christ. And he warned them not to tell anyone about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. He spoke this openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. At this, he turned around and, looking at his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. The Gospel of the Lord. A farmer, a meteorologist, and a firefighter. Sounds like the start of a bad joke. But these three guys, Jason, Craig, and Stephen, came to mind this week. On the surface, just hearing their names and some brief descriptors for them, they probably wouldn't strike people as too memorable. Jason's a farmer in North Carolina. Craig gives the weather forecast on the broadcast team of WKBN in Ohio. Stephen is a member of the fire department of New York, the FDNY. Yet they each exemplify greatness, the true greatness that Jesus calls for in this gospel. And something that, at this point, Simon Peter doesn't get. He just doesn't understand it yet. Jesus asked the disciples a pretty straightforward question. Who do people say that I am? He's trying to get the reaction and the response from the people of all that he said and all that he's done. And he's said and done quite a lot by this point in the gospel. Last week we heard at Mass how he cured a man who was deaf and mute. Not long before that, he raised someone from the dead. There was the miracle of five, 10,000 people being fed with just a few loaves and fish. So suffice it to say, Jesus has definitely commanded people's attention, their curiosity, their wonder. They're recognizing that something's profoundly different about this guy. Something great, but very hard to define about Jesus. It's so unprecedented that the crowds are trying to make sense of it from what they do know. Maybe this is the return of Elijah, the great prophet. Maybe it's John the Baptist come back from the dead or just another great prophet. From those closest to him, 
those who followed him before, during, and after all those miraculous experiences, Jesus expects more. And so he, he pushes them. He asks, but who do you say that I am? And Peter seemingly makes an instant, spontaneous declaration. You are the Christ. Peter recognizes that by all that Jesus has said, all that he's done, that here is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for for centuries. The long-awaited king of Israel who's going to set all things right. Yet within moments of Peter's correct response, he finds himself very wrong. Jesus starts talking about the rejection that he's going to experience, that Jesus will be falsely accused, killed in horrific and brutal fashion on a cross. And Peter can't believe what he's hearing, and he starts arguing with Jesus. He's understandably confused. How is it possible that the one who made the deaf hear and the mute speak, the blind to see, the dead to rise, how is it possible that such awful things could happen to Jesus? Even better, how is it possible Jesus would even allow those things to happen? Jesus has demonstrated he's got power. He's got authority. He's got everything anyone could ever want or need. There's no way such things could or should ever happen to the Christ. You wonder if Peter thought Jesus was trying to use reverse psychology or something on them, wanting Peter to be even more bold in testifying to who Jesus was. But he probably never imagined hearing those next words from Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Seems a little bit harsh. And if you ever hear that in class, that's probably a bad thing. It's the most ultimate of smackdowns. But Jesus isn't trying to embarrass Peter. Jesus loves Peter. And he wants him to recognize that he's wandered into satanic thinking. That's what happens whenever we're not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. Namely, when we're focusing on things like power and authority and wealth and fame and seeing greatness is coming from those pursuits and becoming desirous and possessive of them. Because very quickly, they can become for humans something that we make into idols or even a God themselves that we want to worship. And that's not what the farmer Jason, the meteorologist Craig, and the firefighter Stephen are testifying to in their own unique ways. Jason Brown, before he was in North Carolina, trying to figure out how to contend with a thousand pound cow and the intricacies of growing fruits and vegetables, had signed a $37.5 million contract with the NFL. Craig Zybert, a 31-year-old weatherman for the local CBS affiliate in Youngstown, Ohio, which had him setting on a career trajectory that would have launched him into an even bigger market with greater fame and all kinds of advancement. Just a few weeks ago, he announced he was leaving the anchor desk to begin formation to become a Catholic priest. And Stephen Siller had the job and life he had always dreamed of, being a firefighter with the FDNY, married with, with five kids who he was devoted to. 20 years ago yesterday, after finishing his tour and on his way home, about to meet his brothers for a day of golf, he heard the devastating news of a plane hitting the tower, the World Trade Center, 
Instead of continuing home, he turned his truck around, he started driving to that site and ended up stuck in traffic as countless throngs of people were fleeing. And so he abandoned his pickup truck, grabbed his gear, and ran through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel towards the towers, where he joined the other hundreds of firefighters, police officers, and rescue workers who ended up giving their lives doing that same rescue for thousands of people from the horrors of the terrorist attacks of September 11th. Jason's decision to leave the NFL, Craig's decision to pursue priesthood, Stephen's story of selflessness are examples of coming to know, coming to love God, and learning to, to think as he and not that the world does. Because it was tempting for Jason to stay in the NFL, and with all that money, he could have helped a lot of people, rather than establishing the First Fruits Farm, which gives away all the food that they raise to people in need. It was tempting for Craig to continue his career and just help at the parish on the side in his off time. And there are some who might have been in Stephen's boots and truck and thought, I finished my tour, my duty. I have other responsibilities too. Let someone else handle it. But each of them recognized that death is inevitable for every single one of us. What will ultimately matter is what will we have done with this one life that we're living? And Jesus in today's gospel raises the bar considerably. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. Jason Brown said he knew he was blessed beyond measure and asked Jesus what did he want him to do? What could he do with all of his gifts? And he said he felt the Lord call him to feed my people which resulted in what he describes as the ultimate of trust falls ever that could have him leave the NFL for a very different life that led him and his wife from a mansion to living on a farm. But they look back at that decisive choice and say they would never choose to go back. Craig Zybert has had a lot of reactions to his leaving his job as a weatherman and pursuing the priesthood but more than a few asking him, how would he ever want to be a priest when he has so much already, so much potential, and that he could just do that religion thing on the side? To which Craig responded, honestly, it's just something you can't really describe sometimes. It's just one of those things you know where you're supposed to be in life. And for Stephen Siller, his death among the close to 3,000 others who died on that day, has not left those who knew and loved him simply stuck in grief and mourning. His family has never stopped being inspired by his selflessness and his sacrifice, and they found their own way of following in his footsteps. In the last 20 years, their Tunnel to Towers Foundation has raised over $250 million through all kinds of fundraisers that they've sponsored to help others who, in their service to others, have been injured, or assist their families in the cases of their deaths. Most people on some basic level have a, a desire for their lives to mean something, for them to be remembered in some way. And we're living in a world that seems to be growing 
more and more desperate for attention, for acknowledgement, for affirmation, for likes, that's paralyzed by fear over the slightest threat to those things or even the slightest whiff of any suffering. And that can afflict our, our faith lives as well. We can begin to treat our relationship with Jesus as being some sort of an insurance policy where we reach out to him when we're in need and we want him to fix a problem. We keep the premium paid for the life insurance, so to speak, so that we're covered when we die. And if that's our thinking, we're in the company of Peter in the gospel, thinking not as God does, but as humans do. We're trying to live and preserve our life according to our comforts and pursuits of this world. Jesus isn't condemning us for thinking as humans do, but he doesn't want us to remain there, lulled into a life that's wasted accumulating things or tempted to pursue power and authority and fame. Jesus is calling us to something more, calling us to follow him by freely choosing to carry the cross ourselves, recognizing that in his death on the cross and even more in his resurrection, God has upended the universe. Namely, that true greatness is only found in him and can be seen in our decision to follow him, to imitate him. Like when NFL player turned farmer Jason now farms for food to feed the poor and we let go of wealth and fame. Like when former weatherman now seminarian pursuing priesthood Craig, we let go of ambition and success. Like when firefighter Stephen we even lay down our lives for others. There are just a few of, of countless hosts of followers who've heard Jesus' call and trusted his voice and aligned their hearts and their minds and their lives to the mind of God and into his vision. Will we follow? Will people know that we're setting off on, on a different path, a path they too should want to pursue for meaning, for joy in this life and in the life to come. That will be seen in our capacity to forgive. That will be found in our being sensitive to the needs, physical, emotional, spiritual of others. That will be experienced in our willingness to share. That will be demonstrated in our commitment to our neighbors, near and far. In countless ways, in the ordinary every day, we'll find those moments of decision where we're either being thinking as humans do or as God does. May we trust Jesus and embrace his cross and find the truth that St. Mother Teresa once said after a lifetime of doing the same. I found the paradox. If you love till it hurts, there could be no more hurt, only more love.